those are your two choices. If you give any credibility to the story that I have told you, that it's possible that this two-year-old baby, almost three years old, might have wandered outside into the yard with the pool, climbed upon that ladder, and accidentally drowned herself, whereby her father discovers her in the pool and brings her lifeless body to my client, then you must find my client not guilty. If you don't believe that that's plausible, then I guess you have to make the right call. But if you think that it's possible, that that's the case, that this was an accidental death, my client is not guilty and the law says you have to acquit her. And that's how it was phrased pretty much more or less to the jury. Jose Baez obviously did a lot different than I did. Yeah. But that would have been my version of it. If I was the prosecution, foolproof suffocation. Foolproof <laughs> suffocation. There's only one reason why somebody researches foolproof suffocation. That search didn't appear on her father's laptop. It didn't appear on her mother's cell phone. It appeared on an, a, a, on a PC that was in the house that the evidence proves was being used specifically by Casey Anthony. How do we know that? Because the accounts that were being used at the time that the PC was in use during those times, based on the logs, was on accounts that were password protected on accounts that belonged to Casey Anthony. Yeah. She was using the computer from the morning to late that afternoon. And around the time that Kaylee would have been discovered by her father, according to the defense, we get the search. Foolproof suffocation. Not how does one suffocate? Not what happens when you suffocate? Not what is the medical occurrence that occurs when somebody suffocates? Yeah. Foolproof suffocation. Suffocation with a purpose. Suffocation that only lends itself to duct tape being wrapped around a two-year-old baby to the point where oxygen is deprived from her little lungs until she is dead. If you don't believe that it's reasonable that anybody could have searched that term for any other purpose on that specific day when that baby went missing and was found dead, admittedly, by Casey Anthony herself, then there is no other reasonable explanation. Casey murdered that baby. And you must find her guilty. You're listening to the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, a show that inspires the legally challenged to enter the courtroom armed with a plan. I'm Omar Serrato, owner of the Eagle Law Firm, experienced litigator, and the man you want to talk to before your big case. My co-host is Ileana Colon Rosa, owner of Colon Rosa Law, and a rising star in Southern California. Welcome, everybody, to episode 20 of the Tilton Lawyer Podcast. We have a very um, lengthy episode for you this afternoon. We are going to be talking about Casey Anthony, and I don't know how much you girls know about Casey Anthony. Uh, there's the new documentary that came out that is on Peacock. It's a three-episode series. I sat through it last night, and what I remember about the Casey Anthony trial Way back in 2009, it was right when I was beginning law school, that whole process. I oh, mean, wow. I was 28, 29 years old. And um, it was, they were calling it at the time, like the, the Super Bowl of trials or whatever, the biggest trial since OJ. And it was about little Kaylee Anthony. 
three years old uh, at the time. Not even three. She was two. And she was reported missing by her grandmother. Yes. And her mom, I forget how old uh, Casey Anthony was at the time. I'm not wrong, Omar. I think she was 22 or 21 back at the moment. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, somewhere around that time. She went 31 days without reporting uh, that her daughter was missing. And uh, you listen to that 911 call and she's, her mom is all frantic and like, I just found out that my granddaughter has been missing for 31 days and I don't know. And she's freaking out. And then Casey jumps on the phone and she's very robotic and, you know, very emotionless and, you know, uh, matter of fact. And it struck a chord with America, especially at that time. You're talking about that was the very early days of the Twitterverse. Twitter was just a thing. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, what is this freaking thing, Twitter? <laughs> People were still on MySpace, MySpace. back then. I Facebook. had a MySpace page once. Facebook was mm-hmm. also like at the peak. Yeah. That was the new one. Um, that was the one that succeeded MySpace. But it was um, it captured the nation in a way that um, hadn't happened in a, a quite some time. I mean, people are saying since OJ, right? Um, but before we get into the facts and what we're going to do is right now on this show, we're going to relitigate the evidence. We're going to talk about not, I mean, we're going to talk about some of the things that came out in the media. There was a lot of things that came out in the media that I didn't even remember. Um, but the jury didn't get to hear all of that. And they spent 11 hours in deliberation once this went to verdict and they entered a not guilty verdict acquitted on first degree murder. They found her guilty on all the ancillary charges, the misdemeanor charges and obstructing justice line of the cops. Yeah. <coughs> Fake checks and all those things. Um, and she was released like 11 days after the verdict was read. But she was acquitted on uh, the, the big charge, first degree murder, which the death penalty was at stake. Before I even get into the facts of the case, guilty or innocent, what do you guys think? Casey Anthony. Guilty. 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 Hmm. How do you say that? I mean, just all the evidence points. I mean, I was watching a a YouTube like summary of it and just remembering all of the wish washing and how she acted and the way she was lying. It just makes me believe that she absolutely did it. There's a really, really good documentary on one of my favorite YouTube channels, the JCS uh, criminal psychology channel, or I forget what is the specific name of it is, but it's it was huge. I don't know how much they publish anymore, but they did a whole documentary. I wonder if it, that's the one that you watched. I don't know. Was so, <coughs> I think it was with someone named Mar- Marisha Clark or something. Definitely, like oh, Marsha Clark. Yes. Oh, yes. you even know who Marsha Clark is? No, I don't. That's the OJ prosecutor. <laughs> oh, yeah, she prosecuted the OJ case. Well, she was doing a Marsha Clark back in '94. She had burnt hair during that trial. I don't know if she still has burnt hair. When I say burnt hair, she had like a perm. It was like a weird perm. She, yeah. she looked like a sponge. No, like she was just, she was just covering that case again and, and yeah. um, re, re, resurfacing all the facts. And I'm like, yep, definitely she did it. Yeah. Well, no, no so you idea. say that based off of that, right? Yeah. There's a lot. It was, it's definitely not the first case that was tried in the media because it definitely was. But it was like at the height of this true crime era of um, cable TV and uh, where like a Nancy Grace and all of these people were commenting on uh, those types of cases and they got a hold of, you know, little bits of evidence here and there and all of these pictures about coming up. Oh, she's partying and hot body contests Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, her daughter is missing and she's supposed to be grieving. And 
people didn't understand understand whatsoever what grieving meant uh, back then. I mean, still to this day, grieving is a very complicated. I got a lot to say about the grieving process, by the way, but. I don't think it's dispositive of the case that she was entering hot body contest after <laughs> going through some kind of whatever it was and something happened. Um, either that little girl was suffocated or she drowned in a swimming pool. Yeah. Those are the only two plausible explanations, yeah. right? Those are the only two explanations that were offered to a jury and they chose the latter. They said, well, reasonable doubt as to suffocation. Um, but the drowning scenario seemed like a plausible one, Right. <clears throat> we're going to go through that evidence and I want to see if you girls still share the same opinion. And I like the fact that it's you too. We're missing Eliana again today because yes, she is busy. Unfortunately. She doesn't have the, the, well, she doesn't, she's just busy. She's got stuff to do. So we don't get to <laughs> bounce idea. What I wanted her to do was try to oppose me in the case. Like, Hey, defender, defender right now. I'm going to prosecute her. You defender, but I don't get to do that. So I'm going to do it with you. And you, I'm, you know what? I have all the confidence in the world. You guys can go. We'll see what happens. But let's just go through a timeline of events. Um, take yourself back to 2008. Jocelyn, I don't know. You, you might have been like, a, what, four years old? No, 10. Close enough. 10 years ten old. 10 years old. So you were 10. ten. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're still watching SpongeBob and like eating mac and cheese and yeah, stuff. Absolutely. But also catching glimpses of this case because it was, you know, very in the media. You the were time. too young to be watching this kind of case, young lady. Yes, probably. <laughs> and Melissa, <laughs> I was you 14. were 14 in high school in Columbia, correct? Yes. Yeah. How, what was it? What was it like? What was the, uh, the, the uh, environment like in Columbia? as it regards to this case. Okay, so this case, unfortunately, was not as popular as it was portrayed in the media here. However, maybe a lot of people don't know this, I'm a sociology minor, and I did child abuse in school. I had a class on it. We actually reviewed this case. Oh, okay, so you, in, in college. Exactly. So, based, <coughs> based off of what you learned in your course, initial opinion, you know, before I even get into this, guilty or innocent? He's guilty. Okay. Based off of what? This sounds like a cruel statistic, but when a child is in danger, harmed, lost, or unfortunately has deceased, 85 to 90% of the times it has to do with the mom. Well, mm. it, it definitely had to do with the mom because daughter was in, well, let's get into it. Um, that's a statistic that you bring in, but you don't get to bring in your outside knowledge as a juror, right? No, You can't accept that as, as knowledge in the case. You're presented, you have to decide what happened based on the facts. And so your outside knowledge, like, oh, um, I took a class once on forensics, yeah. and so I know all about DNA, so the hell with your witnesses. I know, I know how it goes. So you don't get to do that in this case. You walk in with like a blank slate. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk so much about, because if you watched the documentary, there's a lot of things that came out in that documentary that contradict what the jury heard in that case. There's a lot of stuff that didn't make it in a trial, and there was some discrepancies there. I wanted to talk a little bit about those, but this is specifically what the jury knows, okay? So back, going back to June 9th of 2008, Casey and her daughter, they're living at their parents' house at the time. They mm -hmm. made the decision they're going to move out with her boyfriend at the time, her, her ex-boyfriend. I don't know if it was an ex at that point. Ricardo Morales- and Amy Heizenga. Those are her two friends. I guess we're going to do this roommate situation. 
And uh, she was going to take her daughter, and I guess they were going to find a way to make it work in that apartment or whatever they were going to go. Um, on June 15th of 2008, a day before um, when everybody knows or assumes right now that Kaylee was last seen alive when she perished, June 15th, Kaylee is videotaped visiting an assisted living facility with her grandmother that morning. Her grandmother took her to see her dad, so Kaylee's great-grandfather, yeah. right? And um, Cindy was swimming with Kaylee in the pool later that day, where more than likely the, the same swimming pool where she either, either she drowned in there or she was suffocated, right? Yeah. June 16th, the date in question, very important. June 16, 2008. Kaylee is last seen alive at the Anthony residence. When I say the Anthony residence, I'm talking about the house where she lived at with her parents. Her dad lived there. Her mom lived there. I don't remember if her brother lived there or not, but that's where she was living. That's where she was moving out of. They had a swimming pool. It was an above ground swimming pool with a ladder. You had to climb into it. And if you get into it, you know, it's one of those hillbilly pools, right? (laughs) That's what I used to call them. Basically. Yeah. Um, 7 a.m., this is what come out, this is the timeline that comes out at trial. At 7 a.m., Cindy Anthony, grandma, testified that she left for work a few minutes before 7 a.m. while everyone was still asleep. 7.52 a.m., Casey Anthony's password-protected account on MySpace shows research for shot girl costumes for Tony Lazaro's nightclub events. I don't know what a shot girl costume is. Is that like a waitress I'm guessing. serving shots? Yeah. What does that even mean, shot girls? I feel like that's what it is. I know oh. bottle girls, not shot girls. Maybe, Maybe it's the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, like, I know that there's girls that walk around in a tray and they got like an outfit on and they got a tray full of that's shots. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, when I was in college, that's what it used to be anyway. <laughs> and so I don't know if it's still like that or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what she was searching for. So 7.56 a.m.? Casey's AIM. Do you guys even remember AIM? I do know what that is. I know it existed, yeah. Isn't that AOL Instant Messenger? Kind of. Mm -hmm. I vaguely remember having one of those like back in the early, early 2000s. That one was the one that came before MSN Messenger, which was the the one from Microsoft, if I'm not wrong. I don't think I ever used MSN. I I did. But I do remember uh, AIM being a thing. That was the one before, yes. Sounds familiar. So 7.56, uh, she used that account to chat with somebody mm-hmm. on a computer, all right? So the whole morning goes by. <sighs> Fast forward to 12.50 p.m. George Anthony, Casey Anthony's creepy father. Did you guys see the uh, jailhouse visit where her parents came to visit her while she had just got arrested, I think the previous day or the same day? They came to visit her. Dad was there and mom was there. Did you guys see that video? Have you guys ever seen no, it? No, I don't think so. Mm-mm. If you watch that video, you can see that, I mean, there's like a split screen. Her parents are on one screen and it's her mom sitting on the phone and then her dad. I didn't know a whole lot about her dad before this case because I honestly hadn't thought about it in years. But I'm watching it and I'm thinking, her dad just had this really blank, stoic look on his face. And I couldn't figure out, I was thinking, like, maybe he just really knows or thinks that his daughter murdered this little girl. Yeah. And he's really upset or angry with her. 
or I don't know, but something was up with her, with him. Something was up with him, I was thinking. And then as I started reviewing the case, like, oh, yeah, there was all kinds. There was allegations of child abuse yes. and molestation mm-hmm. by the dad as to uh, Casey. And um, and we'll get into some of the stuff about the cover-up aspects, but there was a lot. He was more, way more heavily involved in this than I had ever remembered prior. You know, when I mean, back then, I was like, knee deep in the LSAT studying for that. So I was not really. <laughs> you were not really present. Not yeah. your concern. Yeah. I was not. But so 1250, George Anthony, Casey's father, claims that Kaylee left the house with Casey in her car around 1250 p.m. That day, they had backpacks on their shoulders. And it's important to note that because <coughs> although George testified that Casey and Kaylee left the house around 1250, there was further computer activity on the home computer that day um, associated with uh, Casey's account after 1250. In other words, they got the computer logs. Yeah. We can't say for sure that it was Casey screwing around on that computer. Yeah, that's we can't. true. Dad's already saying that they left with, he left, or Casey left with uh, Kaylee at 1250. Mm-hmm. So it was either dad Mom was gone. Nobody's questioned her on that. She went to work. She had a legitimate job. All right. Dad says he was still there. He says that the girls had left. I thought dad had a job too. This is what came out in testimony. Okay. And who knows what... Dad claimed to have a job, but then it came out in that documentary, but he wasn't really working. He wasn't working. He had a gambling problem. He was... um, Mm, I did not know that. Cheating on his wife with... uh, Or he was uh, gambling away their family savings, and there was all kinds of crazy stuff that came out with respect to him. Uh, So I don't know whether or not he was legitimately working or not. This is is what came out in testimony. This is from the witnesses. So this is all the jury has to go off of, right? They got to accept this as true or not. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so there was further computer evidence of something going on after 1250 when he says that Casey had left. Further, uh, the cell phone pings, and you guys are well of, of the pinging yes, cell phones. Yes, They generally are, are able to generally tell where you were at any given time because mm-hmm. yeah. your cell phone gives off pings. Uh, but they don't leave the area of the Anthony home, Anthony home until around 4.11 that day. Casey's supposed to be working at Universal Studios, right? That's what she claimed. Or she was supposed to leave with, a, I don't know, where I guess he's, she's taking Casey to the babysitter or something. Something like that, yeah. <coughs> but... It doesn't show her leaving that area until around 4.11 that day. 1.39 p.m., there's activities on Casey's AIM accounts. Um, her MySpace and Facebook accounts are logged onto the home computer. The last browser activity that day um, is around 1.42, an hour about, about an hour after she was supposed to have been gone. 1.44, there's a phone call to Amy Hyzenga. Her friend that she's supposed to move into, right? Friend. The phone call with Heisinger ends around 221. So they're talking for about 40 minutes, 35 minutes, um, just about. At 2.30, that's when George testifies that he left the home to go to work. Okay. Okay. 2.49, Casey Anthony's cell phone connects with a tower nearest to the home. And the Anthony family's desktop computer is activated by someone using a password that's protected uh, on one of the accounts that Anthony had used, suggesting that she was still at the house screwing around on the computer, doing whatever she was doing. Um, At 2.51, 
This is the most problematic evidence for her, if you ask me, in the case. At 2.51, a Google search is made for the term foolproof suffocation. Mm -hmm. Hyphenated. F-O-O-L, misspelled, and she misspelled suffocation. She spelled it S-U-F-F-I instead of with an O, right? Uh, These are... the. They tracked her activity. Um, it goes on. She clicks onto an article that criticizes pro-suicide websites to promote foolproof ways to die. If I think back over all of my life, I can't think of any time that I would have had reason to Google search the term suffocation, let alone attached to it foolproof, right? Yeah. What does foolproof mean? Like to expiration? I mean, obviously to expiration, to die, to die. Is that what you mean? And so... <clears throat> I can't explain that Google search in any plausible way. But then again, we also don't know if it was her or if it was her dad or what happened. Um, we'll get into more theories, but how many times have you girls Googled suffocation in your lives ever? I mean, not definitely not foolproof suffocation. <laughs> I've Googled stupid things, of yeah. course, but not that. Yeah. Never. I remember... I saw a video on YouTube once about the most painful ways to die, and one of them involved drowning, but it was like a scientific description of why it's so painful and why it sucks. I think everybody has seen, like, has seen that video. Most I, painful I ways remember to die. something like that. Yeah. yeah, but I've never specifically, like, you know. Googled that, that yeah. one, that particular yeah. one. And it's not even like, a, oh, like, what's it like to suffocate and die? It's like a foolproof suffocation. Yeah, that's the strange part. Suffocation with purpose yeah. right and there's more to that there was also searches for like how to you know break somebody's neck um we'll get into that later but <coughs> i did not hear about that one going down the timeline um at uh 2:52 p.m. right after that google search there is activity on myspace casey anthony answered a call from a man named jesse grund he described his conversation with casey as being ad- abnormal abnormal as if well, she stated to him that she had to leave, get the hell out of the house because her parents were getting divorced and she needed a new place to live. That was the subject that he says their conversation was about. Obviously, the content of that conversation is not admissible. It's hearsay. 3.04 p.m., Casey ends the phone call um, with uh, Grund and takes a call from her dad at 3.04, who had just left to work, according to testimony at 2.30. And according to a defense team, it was a 26-second phone call that took place as soon as he got to work to tell her, I took care of everything. Telling her he disposed of the body and warned her not to tell her mother about the child's death. And there, there is some discrepancy here. This is where we get into a big discrepancy. Um, in the documentary on Peacock, it was stated that Casey didn't even learn about the death of her child until she was sitting in a jail cell. So here's her story. <clears throat> Casey says, Casey says that in the documentary, her father presented the dead baby, Kaylee, mm-hmm. that he discovered in a swimming pool and gave it to her and said, this is your fault. You did this. And he said she felt her and she felt heavy and cold. Uh, but her dad said it was going to be OK. And she believed her, him. And uh, she was so traumatized by her dad, that was just her practice to go along with whatever he said. And she always held out hope, and she genuinely believed that her daughter might be alive. But it wasn't her, her claim is in the documentary, she didn't even know 
that she was really dead until she was sitting in her jail cell or some area in a jail cell where there was a television broadcasting the news of the Casey Anthony case. And on the ticker comes the announcement, Kaylee Anthony found, the remains of Kaylee Anthony found. She's deceased and, you know, DNA test will confirm. And then it has this video of her on surveillance on the jail, breaking down in tears. And she claims that that was the moment that she officially recognized that dad um, or that her, her daughter was dead. Right now, her her defense, the way that it was presented to the jury uh, was that there was this 26 second phone call that took place between her and her dad where he just basically confirms I took care of it. I got got, I disposed of the body. So her attorneys. It depends on which version you believe her attorneys gave the jury this story, Okay, which was essentially it was an accident. My daughter drowned. I didn't know what to do, and I was scared to tell anybody, and so I didn't tell anybody. My dad helped me cover it up. That's her story. On the documentary, it's essentially the same story, but the phone call does not jive with what happened in the documentary. On the documentary, again, she finds out on the news that her daughter was officially deceased. So I'm not sure what to make of that, other than it's a huge discrepancy that I have based on the documentary, based on what was presented in trial. Um Going back uh, to the timeline, at 3.34 p.m., so this is after the phone call between her and her dad, Casey makes a phone call to her boyfriend, Tony Lazaro, that goes unanswered. Between 4.10 and 4.14 that day, Casey makes six phone calls to her mom, all of which went unanswered. Um, At 4.11 p.m., Casey's cell phone pings, indicating that she was near or at her house until she left her boyfriend's apartment at 4.11. 7.54 p.m. that night. Um, Casey and her boyfriend are seen entering and walking around casually in a blockbuster video store. I think I saw that picture. Yeah. And this is after, obviously Kaylee's not with them. Yeah. But this is after uh, both the defense team and the defense or the prosecution claims that Kaylee would have perished. And, um, she's going to Netflix and chill with her boyfriend. You said blockbuster and a storm (laughs) of memories, (laughs) like... (laughs) Oh, Blockbuster used to be a thing. It yes. used to be a thing. Isn't there one left in like Oregon? Like the last like the last one. Alaska. The, no, no, no. Bend, Oregon. The Something last like Blockbuster. Yeah. Oh, make it a make it a trip. Make Go it a trip. Actually it's an, it's an Airbnb as well, and people actually rent movies and stuff. <clears throat> but you know, of course. We now have Redbox, Netflix, and all of the no other need. streaming platforms. I ain't doing all that shit. Yeah. There's no way. No like, need. No need. Oh. Okay. So <clears throat> That was June 16th, right? That was the day that Kaylee died. Yeah. Knowing all of that, what are your girls' thoughts? What do you think? You're sitting on the jury. Yeah, I'm I'm a a juror, right? So dad is claiming, well, the defense team is claiming that dad helped Casey cover up up, a very tragic accident. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was too scared to say anything. And so was her dad. And her dad's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. And so that's their story. And that's what they're sticking with. Prosecution is saying, no, 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 suffocation. Look at the Google search. What do you girls think? As a juror, I'm going to believe accidental death at this point. But that's just me with the evidence you presented to me. Well, we haven't even got to, that's not even day one of trial. That's just the timeline. That was, I mean, over the course of the entire trial. Like they they were just trying to build a timeline of what happened from the day, from the start of the day to that Mm, point. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that's, that's established by the prosecution and the defense. That is the agreed upon timeline that came out to the jury. Mm-hmm, so that's okay. what we have. 
So June 17th, let's just, this is what happened. On June 17th, George and Cindy Anthony noticed that the gate to the swimming pool is open and that there's a ladder next to the pool. I got to tell you, I have a three-year-old daughter. I have a two-year-old daughter. Um, and my three-year-old, I just caught, me and my wife, we actually caught her trying to um, escape the house. At three? Like yeah. run, run away from the house? We were sitting there and we witnessed her unlock the door, the front door to the house. Oh my God. And try to book it. That's why you have like, those baby gates, right? <laughs> you got a baby gate, but yeah. we were doing something in the living room. Oh. And we watched her just unlock the door casually. She knows how to do it and walk out. And if we didn't stop her, she would have been doing laps around the block. Oh, my God. Okay, to be honest with you guys, three is actually a very late age because I was one. And my grandma has a mean videotape <laughs> climbing out of the door and, like, literally just. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That's, it's about the about the time to do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So I could I could understand. I understand. I, I I certainly could see how a baby could just walk and yes. climb into a ladder and fall into a swim pool. Yeah, absolutely. I just saw a, a, a YouTube video, or not even YouTube, it was on CNN. Like there was some kid who was autistic that just uh, beelined for the swimming pool and then um, was drowning and somebody jumped in to save him and that mm-hmm. kid would have been gone within the space of like 30 seconds. My mom has a pool. And um, every time I take my daughter over there, what's the first thing my daughter does? Tries to go into Straight the pool. Straight to the pool. Yeah. She tries to like somersault, flips, I mean, dive into that pool if we let her, you know? And so kids are attracted to water. I get it. It's plausible that this kid let themselves out of the door and climbed in the swimming pool and uh, drowned. She wasn't murdered. That, that makes perfect sense to me. It does. <clears throat> so if I'm on the jury and I'm looking for reasonable doubt that Casey was responsible for the death. I mean, that's a, for me personally, that's a world of uh, reasonable doubt just because I have children that age and I know exactly how they act and that's what happens. So at any rate, uh, back to the timeline, June 17th, swimming pool, June 20th. Now this is where it starts to get people, the media just got all over to Casey Anthony. Oh, Casey Anthony is a slut. And, you know, she just wanted to go out and party and be a single lady because she's tired of having kids and she's young. And, you know, maybe, maybe, or, or maybe she was just grieving. Maybe she was, you know, having some kind of reaction to some trauma. Yeah. There's multiple kinds of trauma with this lady. Uh, first being, she accuses her dad of full on raping her. Yeah. I forgot I'm not allowed to say rape on on YouTube of, of, of full on having intercourse with her. Mm-hmm. Like sexually assaulting her? Yeah, I mean, yeah. from the time that she was a small child until about the age of 12. And then her brother do- doing the same thing, although not to the degree that her father did, but like groping her and stuff. There's actually a statistic that <clears throat> says that a child or minor that was either assaulted or mm-hmm. had forced intercourse, yeah. I think he's more... 60 or 70% more prone to actually, um, how do I say this? Like more prone to either having a teenage pregnancy or having kids at a young age. Okay, yeah. Well, then that would match Casey because she had a kid very young, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, there's, there's that. And then, you know, what about the trauma of- Going through that. Her child just died. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that like Casey clocked out from the moment she found out her child died and then just never 
clocked back in, like mentally, you know? You know what? Men do that all the time. Yeah. Men do that all the time. And I could see that being plausible for her, just her just not being 100% there. Okay, did it again. Yeah, don't, yeah. I'm going to let it cool down. I'm going to speak for five minutes. I'll put in some B-roll. Okay. But um, men do that all the time. Yeah. When they're grieving, when men grieve. I mean, I did it when I was young. I did it when I, you know. Um, one of the ways that men grieve is to go out and just uh, get themselves blackout drunk and to go throw caution to the wind and do anything and everything to yeah. distract themselves from the reality of life. That's pretty much what partying is That's especially when, they tend when you're to do young. stupid things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten, I mean, stupid things. Um, you know, whether it be illegal narcotics, whether it be alcohol, mm-hmm. whether it be sex, whether it be whatever, just whatever like it is, whatever your vice, just something to distract to from take reality. Your mind away from that situation. Yeah. This is what alcoholism is. Al- alcoholism is, in in its essence, um, aside from the addiction, is an escape from some kind of depression, some kind of mental illness, some kind of whatever, right? And to suggest that because she's doing it, you know, in the way that many have done it before. If she was a man, nobody would think twice about it. Or maybe they would. But it wouldn't be like, oh, he's a whore, he's a slut or whatever. If, you know, if this was indeed a, a response to some kind of a trauma or some kind of a difficult moment of her life, it makes perfect sense to me. I've seen many people do that, you know, with addiction issues or not. It's just a, it's, it's a very human response to trauma. And I told you guys the story about when I went to the bar, when, when I passed the bar um, to get my results. When I was in Vegas, <laughs> I had two plans. There was a plan A or plan B. I just passed and we're going to celebrate and I'm getting blackout drunk. I will not be conscious tonight. Yeah. And plan B was I just failed the bar and I don't want to think about it. I'm getting blackout yeah. drunk tonight. So two plans that had the same outcome. Yeah. Same outcome, mm-hmm. right? It was happy time or, 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 or uh, unhappy time, right? Yeah. And so, but it's a normal response. It doesn't impress me the fact that she was doing this in the midst of all of this stuff. And but so- that's the thing. We have, I'm going to take you off on that. Today, nowadays, it's more, how would you say, it's more common or it's more like normal to speak about these kind of yeah. grieving, like different grieving. Yeah. Back then, think about what was grieving or acceptable for the people back in 2008, 2009, 2010 and 11. Like a complete different thing. Our our picture of somebody grieving was somebody crying, thrown on the floor, wanting to die, saying like, this is the end of the world. I just want to like tore my head out, tore my eyes out. I can't live anymore, blah, 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 blah. Nowadays, we know that the image of somebody grieving is not that all of the time. There's people that still go to the gyms, look healthy. They dress up themselves. They go out to parties. They read a book. They look like everything is totally fine. But inside- It's not. That's when the actual grieving is happening. Mm -hmm. And they just put on a great show. Back then, it was- how do I say it? Like a taboo to just speak about that? Yeah. Yeah. Today, with all the power social media has, and it's like, like celebrated. It's like exactly. You know, good on you for mentioning that. Especially yeah. when we during the COVID era in 2020, when everybody was locked in. Yeah. Everybody had a chance to speak about what grieving meant. So, I understand the people back then were saying like, "Oh, she's a whore. She's just going around being a single woman." But if that same thing, God forbid, it were to happen today. We would not be saying that. Mm-hmm. Most likely everybody will be like, hey, there's different types of grieving. Well, I think one of the things that the woke culture, the woke culture for all the bad that it's done. I mean, one of the good things that it's done is it's brought, it's highlighted, you know, 
how to deal with mental stress, yep. the different ways of people to deal with mental stress. Yes. There's more than one way to be a man. You don't got to be just like this tough guy, like slamming down yeah. uh, potatoes, meat and potatoes and eggs and stuff <laughs> and, you know, chopping down wood. You know, that's the image that we have of men, yeah. but there's many different kinds of men exactly. and ways to equivalent to equivalent the, the equivalence of that. <laughs> and, and with, with, uh, with grieving, you know, we have, what the storybooks tell us grieving should look like mm-hmm. that we learned in the movies. Yeah. But how often is movies reality? You know, Rarely, the, the, the strength, yeah. if we were to put reality into the actual movies, well, you know what they tried, you know why they have a rating system because they don't want you to see what real life is like. That's true. X rated, mm-hmm. R rated, whatever, PG 13. We censor from the general public what real life is. Yeah. And there's many reasons for that for maybe it's, we don't want it. We don't want to, look at an internal mirror of of who we are as human beings. But what we actually go through in our, our, our times of extreme depression, what it actually looks like versus what was acceptable back then, very different things. So I'm unimpressed by her partying 30 days after, you know, during the disappearance of her child. I'm just, it doesn't impress me. It's not evidence of anything. And I think that the prosecution in this case tried to use it as, part of the puzzle that they had to put together that would create for them proof that she had this malice. Her motive for murdering her child was she wanted to be single and party. That was what they wanted to sell the jury on. But I think that this jury was a little more sophisticated than that. And they had greater empathy. And I think that her defense attorney, her defense team really, just did a much better job than the prosecution of humanizing this case. I saw, um, I rewatched some of the closing arguments. <coughs> and if you watch the documentary, there's this part where um, the defense attorney is going in and he's stating that you can't put emotion into this case. You know, you can't let your, you know, the fact that this little girl has died and now we're going to be like the Salem witch trial. Somebody has to burn because somebody had a dream that somebody was um, exercising or not exercising, possessing their husband to have bad dreams about whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the Salem witch trials, that's literally what it was. That's literally what happened. Something bad happened. Somebody has to burn at the stake. Right. And in criminal trials, a lot of the times, especially when you have a two year old baby who was deceased, somebody needs to roll somebody. And Casey Anthony is the one sitting there on trial. And what is, what his defense attorney did an excellent job of doing was do not burn my client at the stake because you need somebody to burn. Why don't we just look at the evidence? Let's look at the facts. Let's see what makes sense and make our decisions based off of that. And then you get the um, prosecutor. They had, there's three prosecutors in this case, and there was this older gentleman that was going on and on about uh, her partying as a single woman, how it's fun and it's great, and that's what she wanted to do when she was stressed out by her child. And it just seemed, he seemed not... He was not the person to make that argument mm-hmm. because he made it in like this get off of my lawn type of way. That was just <laughs> not like, don't tell me about nightclubs. When you when were you last in a nightclub? Like 60 years ago. I mean, <laughs> give me a break with you. You know, yeah. they don't want to hear it from him. Yeah. And the way that his delivery was, it was so manufactured and just not human. It, it didn't resonate with the jury. And I, t- I talk about on this case and this case on the, on this show, so many, so much the importance of being able to connect with your jury and being, being authentic. Being charismatic, you know. I mean, if you're, if you look like the way that that prosecutor looked and you're trying to 
convince a jury of younger folks yeah. about what it means to be at a nightclub when he probably hasn't been in a nightclub <laughs> in 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that he hasn't. Maybe he has. Yeah. It just didn't look, it, it didn't come off. He didn't perform that part of it well. Didn't look like it. He didn't look the part. He didn't yeah. look the part. Yeah. He was not the guy to deliver that message. Yeah. Um, he needed to deliver a different message yeah. than somebody else. They had three of them, three prosecutors. But it was what it was. I understand why the jury uh, fell in love with the defense team's presentation of the case. Yeah. Because seeing who they went up against and, you know, remembering back <clears throat> When they would talk about in media, they said the biggest problem with Casey Anthony, the prosecution's case against her, is that they're just not very likable. Mm -hmm. They're not very charismatic. Um, they're not doing a very good job of presentation. And because they were getting blown out of the water in the charisma aspect of it, and that who's the guy that you would want to go hang out with at the bar after the trial's over? Yeah. Well, not them. <laughs> Certainly not that guy, right? That they go and hang out with the defense team. Yeah. Because they just seemed like they were more human. And humanity is the most important aspect of trials. Yes. It's what makes us human. We have this moral compass, this moral code that we craft, and there's various ways that we manifest it, whether it be through religious religious texts, mm -hmm. through philosophical texts, uh, through ideologies, uh, through groups, uh, cults, um, whatever. However, we all craft it, but it's all geared towards the same thing, right versus wrong, good versus evil, and what do we do when we find it, whatever it is that you're looking for? And in trial, the reason why so many movies are based around trials is because it is the ultimate, ultimate manifestation of human theater. Good versus evil. Yeah. Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? And what should we do about it? And so in, when that is the job... The case is so, it's, it's, it's about the presentation of the facts, but you got to present it not like I'm a, not like I'm a scientist, not like I'm, you know, a, a lawyer, a judge or whatever. Present it to me like I'm a human being. You're human, yep. Like I'm your son, like I'm your daughter, like I'm your family member, your, your wife, your husband. You and know? you know, I think most times people want to be empathetic towards other people. And I think they really did a good job of doing that for Casey to, to be empathetic in the situation. June 23rd, 2008, uh, Anthony Lazaro testifies that he helps Casey break into the shed of her parents' home to take gas cans for Casey's car, which had run out of gas. Things get super freaking bizarre at this point. Uh, Lazaro said that he watched Casey open the trunk of the car, didn't see inside the trunk. He didn't see that there was any odor that he could that he could uh, detect. There was an indication at the trial that there were cadaver dogs that had alerted to the presence of the owner of the odor of human decomposition mm -hmm. in Casey Anthony's truck. Yes. Trunk. And so they're asking all these witnesses, did you smell anything? Did you smell anything? And so this is why you get some of these, some of these things. Um, on June 24th, Casey's dad, George calls the police and reports of the break-in. Uh, it's report. Uh, the gas cans are missing from his shed. Uh, later this day, he saw Casey at the Anthony residence and confronted her about taking them. George said that when he went to get them out of his daughter's car, she ran past him, quickly opened in the trunk and uh, retrieved the gas cans herself, yelling, here's your fucking gas cans, and stormed off. George testifies that he smelled gasoline in the car, uh, but did not detect any other odors, i.e. the smell of uh, decomposition. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the gas cans matter because there was a piece of duct tape Yes. On those gas cans. Yes. Uh, that appear to be the same ones that was found on, on the mouth 
of Kaylee's yeah. skeletal remains. Now, there's a big discrepancy. The duct tape was not found on the mouth. It was found like on a strand of hair near the skeletal face. So this image that everybody has in the media that there was duct tape over her nose and over her mouth, that never was ne- that was never the evidence. There was duct tape that may have been on a strand of Kaylee's hair that during the decomposition process was in and around her face that was used to keep, I guess, the bags shut. That's the, what the defense team is claiming. But they did not see it the way that you're picturing it, which is over the nose and over the mouth to suffocate, which was a huge problem with the prosecution's case. Because if I'm a prosecutor, what do I want that evidence to look like? If that's the point I'm trying to make, I want to be able to tell the jury, okay, the duct tape was wrapped around this child's head and so that she couldn't breathe. And then it was obvious there's only one reason to wrap duct tape around uh, somebody's head and it's to suffocate them. That's what you want the evidence to show if that's the point you're trying to make. But that wasn't the evidence. The evidence was there was duct tape found on a strand of hair and it was that specific duct tape, but it wasn't necessarily wrapped around the head or like on the face. And it was very, it wasn't that much of an amount. And so it was just ambiguous. It's just evidence. Do we know for sure that this was used to suffocate or was it used for to keep the bags together? Those are the two competing theories. And I can't make heads or tails of it. It's 50-50 to me. And if it's 50-50, that's reasonable doubt, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? So if your whole theory of the case is suffocation, the duct tape evidence isn't going to get you there. It's not sufficient, yeah. (coughs) Not in a criminal case. So... Anyway, going back to the gas, can, uh, the gas cans, uh, so they found on the skeletal remains of the duct tape, George said that he was probably the one that put the tape on the gas can, and he stated that at the time, after Kaylee was reported missing, he and his wife were running on fumes, and that's why he had the gas cans in the first place, and then I guess there was holes in the gas can, and that's why he put the tape on the gas cans or whatever. Um, same one found on Kaylee, it's, but it supports this idea that he was the one that disposed of the, yeah. the remains, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> on June 30th, uh, Casey's car is towed from a parking lot after being there for several days. Her purse and a child's car seat were found in the back seat. On July 2nd of 2008, Casey gets that tattoo, the famous one, Bella Vita. Yes. Beautiful life in Italian. July 15th, George and Cindy Anthony pick up Casey's car from the impound. George Anthony observes a strong odor emanating from the vehicle. An inspection of the car trunk reveals a plastic bag containing trash. Distressed because Casey had not brought Kaylee home in a month, Cindy tracks down and meets with Amy Heizenga, takes Cindy to their apartment where Casey is staying, and, and makes Casey go home, uh, come home. And then at that point, Casey tells her parents that she hadn't seen Kaylee in a month, and that a babysitter completely made up, named Fernandez Gonzalez, um, may or may not have kidnapped her. Yes. Completely made up. Yeah. Right? Um, Cindy Anthony immediately calls 911, reports her granddaughter missing, and that's when we get the 911 tapes. Yes. Uh, where you see that she's completely distressed and, and Casey is uh, fairly robotic, is how I would describe her disposition on those calls. On July 16th, um, Police investigators discover Casey Anthony had been lying about her place of employment. Yep. And where she says her nanny lives. So she directed them to a, uh, what do you call it? She like an apartment complex like a, a or something? Yeah, an apartment, apartment complex. Something like that, yeah. <coughs> and, um, yeah, nobody had been living there for months. Yeah. 
and, and which is completely bizarre. And then she says, oh, yeah, I work here at there's this. This is the documentary. I'm going to play a clip of um, the moment that she was um, that she took the children to that investigation. Let me just uh, Marie Anthony. There you so go. rather than tragic, you'll find the word. All right. Just watch this. Watch this portion of it. From 15 on. So she's trying to help the police in the investigation. They have a lot of questions for her. They did a lot of research. They knew ahead of time that she didn't work at Universal Studios. Yeah. Why was she telling her that? Yeah. So the guy running the investigation says, well, I'll just have her take you there and let's see what, she, let's see what happens. And then they were shocked because she actually took them there. Yeah, but this is, this is she, bizarre. Yeah. Why the fuck would you lie? But this is what she does. Um, to national law and a This is from JCS uh, Crime. After the initial statement you just heard, Casey was asked if she could take police to all places of interest. She happily obliged and then proceeded to lead them to a multitude of fake addresses which she had nothing to do with. She then took them to her supposed office at Universal Studios and literally led three senior investigators to the very end of the building, taking over 25 minutes to walk to, before she finally turned around, put her hands in her back pockets, laughed, and admitted that she didn't work there. Completely dumbfounded, the detectives placed her under arrest and took her to a conference room in the building for what was essentially an interrogation. Since I left you this morning, mm-hmm. I've gone to every address that you've told me. I came over here, I've already talked to all the employees. Mm-hmm. I found out all these names that you're giving me are people that either never worked here or have been fired here for a long time ago. Okay, so where we are right now is in a position that doesn't look very good for you. Because obviously I know and you know that everything you told me is a lie, correct? Not everything that I told you. Pretty much everything that you've told me, including where Kaylee is right now. That I still, I don't know where she is. Sure you do. And here, here's, I absolutely listen, do let me, not know where she let me, is. Let me explain something. Looking at you, I know that everything that you've told me is a lie. I am very confident, just by having talked to you the short period of time, that you know where she is. I legitimately have not seen my daughter in five weeks. I didn't let anything happen to her, except I trusted her with somebody. Somebody that had been taking care of her, that had been taking good care of her.
you think you're a bad mom, or something happened to Kaylee and Kaylee's buried somewhere or in a trash can somewhere, and you had something to do with it. Either way, right now, it's not a very pretty picture to be painting. You're painting yourself as a very bad person. It needs to end. The truthful thing this is that I have not end. seen my daughter. The last time that I saw her was on the 9th of June. Remember we had those two people that we were talking about, the person who had an accident, and a person who's just a cold-blooded, callous monster? That's telling me that you are the second person, this cold-blooded, callous oh. monster who doesn't care and doesn't want to help because she's afraid that something so heinous happened that everyone's going to look at her and say, she's a monster, she deserves to go away, she deserves to never see the light of day, this bad thing should happen to her. I don't want to believe that right now, but you're going to give me no choice. Tell us what happened to Kaylee. Tell us what happened to I Kaylee. I dropped off Kaylee. And that's the last time that I've seen her. I dropped Where her off. Where did you drop her off? I dropped her off at that apartment. No, you didn't. That's exactly no, where I you dropped didn't. her off. Did you just think that one day she's just going to show up at your house? <laughs> no, I sat around yesterday trying to figure out what to do. I'm glad that I ended up seeing my mom, that all of that stuff happened. It happened for a reason. Because You're glad you saw your mom. You could have saw your mom five weeks ago and said, Mom, I don't know where. I saw my mom's reaction right off the bat, and it would have been the same from the get-go. So wait a minute, you're more afraid of your mom's reaction than you are if you ever see your daughter again? No, I'm absolutely petrified. Absolutely petrified. I know my mom will never forgive me. I'm never going to forgive myself. Is it that there's some other thing more important in your life right now that you just weren't really focused on uh, what you were saying when you told us? So you kind of just accidentally told us you had an office here and we needed to be here? Or did you purposely mislead us? Which of those two is it? I purposely misled Okay, so you purposely misled us. <laughs> Does not look good. All right. Is Musta coming back or what is she doing? I don't know, actually. All right. <clears throat> well, we'll continue because we're almost done. Yeah. Um. So that looks really bad, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> I mean, how how much worse could it get if you are? I mean, if you're being interrogated by the police. Number one. I mean, there's two ways to look at that. The way that I'm looking at it, I mean, the obvious way to look at it is, okay, I mean, she's obviously a liar. And yes. so before I get into that, so there's two ways to look at it. It's either she's a liar mm -hmm. and she's obviously lying. She definitely mm -hmm. killed her daughter or that lie is so outside of the realm of what a normal person would do. Yeah. Something's, what, what is wrong with this lady? Something's wrong. Now, if we're saying that it is a response to trauma, I mean, I guess... That's kind of what it would look like. Now, when she explained it in her documentary, she talks about um, she literally didn't know what to do. She just lied all the time. It was one of her responses to trauma because she had to constantly lie about the abuse that was going on with her parents. And so it was no difference with the police. She didn't mean to, but it was just her her disposition. And the way that she's combated that now, she says that she's overly honest and blunt with folks, which I don't know, maybe it sound. Oh, my timer went off. That's what that was. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to remind me to turn on the... <clears throat> That's her explanation. Which makes a lot more... I, I don't know. I just... If you're being investigated for a crime and you're trying to hide something, I don't think that you would... That anybody... Most people that I've seen try to make their lies sound... Competent? Better? Yeah. Realistic? <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, you're not going to take... Uh, the police to the White House and claim that you work there and you have an office and start waving at folks and expect it to go well. That's what she did. That's what she did. But she did that. And so there's a couple takeaways. I mean, she's a 21, 22-year-old girl at mm -hmm. that point. She's a child. 
she is a child. It wasn't that long ago she was in diapers, you know? Yeah. And she's wearing, I mean, she, she's a, the mother of this two-year-old, and she probably is scared and just doesn't know what to do. Perhaps there was some trauma there to the fact that, and when I, when I think back, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I know that one of the classic signs of some of the clients that I've represented that have experienced trauma, whether it be through sexual assault or whether it be because of domestic violence or some tragic thing that's happened, they have a very blank disposition and uh, they appear very emotionless when they talk about it. Meaning they don't go high or low. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a lot of tears there, honestly. When somebody's lying, they're overly emotion, emotional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if they're trying to make it up, you know, before they get a word out, they're bursting into tears. But people that are telling the truth, generally, I mean, emotion that they display versus what's going on internally don't match, does not okay. match. Yeah. And so when somebody's trying to manufacture something that they're trying, supposed to feel, it looks a little bit like how you would think in the movies. Just in my experience as a trial attorney, when I'm examining witnesses, as soon as I see somebody burst into tears within the first five seconds of taking the stand, I'm immediately skeptical and I'm going to press in on that. We're going to get to the bottom of that. That's weird. That's not normal. Do you think that's what happened with Casey? If you ask my unqualified opinion as a a juris doctor, not a doctor of psychology, as a JD, uh, in my opinion, she has the disposition of somebody that's gone through. I believe that she was molested by her father. Mm -hmm. I believe that she's experienced multiple traumas in her life. And I also believe that part of the trauma that she was experiencing at the time is, is whether or not she had come to terms with it at that point or not, the loss of her daughter. Whether or not she actually believed that her daughter was alive or not, something happened with her daughter and she hadn't seen her in a month. Something must have been going on internally with her, whether that was... I don't know. I just feel like of the cases that I have observed where people have, uh, of the cases that I have observed of sexual assault and the cases where it appeared to be genuine, the victims in the case were not so quick to tears. They were um, almost robotic in the delivery of their testimony. And I'm talking about you know, genuine sexual assault, genuine child molestation. When I speak to children that have been abused, they're not bursting into tears and, you know, trying to tell you a story. They're not very forthcoming about what happened. Yeah. And they are very, not shy. They're just protective of their emotions. And Casey seems that way. When you look at the video footage of her talking in to her parents while she was in prison, there were moments where she would crack but when she talked about Casey um, or Kaylee, she would zip back up and you know keep everything close contained. Now, I'm not a therapist to know what that means. I just know if you're asking me if I believe her story about that she was going through some traumatic event that caused her to make these ridiculous lies, it makes sense to me. It makes yeah. sense to me because no normal person, um, if you're trying to if you're trying to lie somebody, you're not like you're not, like I said, you're not gonna. Oh yeah, let's go take a trip to this place that I don't work at and start yeah, waving I can at see folks. That then. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's my take on it. It just sounds fishy. It's so over the top as to be unbelievable to suggest that something else is going on. Yeah. So I really feel like that the defense team did a really good job of focusing in on that aspect of it. And then the fact that her dad was a creep did not help. No, it doesn't. The prosecution's <laughs> case at all. So. <clears throat> On July 17th, she appears in court. Uh, The judge denies bail. 
um, saying that she showed a willful disregard of welfare of the child. Uh, this is when they brought murder charges against her. Um, she hires Jose Baez as her legal attorney. Um, on August 5th, they, the state attorney's office files formal ch- charges against Casey Anthony, including one felony count of child neglect. I'm on August 8th. Um, reports are that investigators suspect Kaylee may have drowned in the family swimming pool. This is when all this story comes. On January 4th, now we're getting, we're starting to get to the, we haven't even, gosh, we're like an hour in. We haven't even got to the start of the trial. This is barely the timeline. Oh my God, it's the timeline. It was yeah. a lot, but we, we've, we've kind of already talked a lot about it. We don't have to go so much into it. But um, on January 4th, the judge postpones. Now this is crucial because one of the big defenses in the case that the, the the defense team had to contend with was the science of it. And what they said in the documentary and even at trial was a lot of their motions of evidence were based on what was going to constitute scientific evidence and what wasn't. Like there was this thing that chloroform may have been used yeah, I heard in the murder about that. of the child, but there wasn't really any solid evidence to back it up. Yeah. And there was other discussions um, involved in uh, the finding of a hair and the striations that would occur in human decomposition, but it wasn't based on solid evidence. It was based on this uh, storybook evidence or science that they were trying to pass off as science, and they were going back and forth. And so the judge, uh, post at some point on January 4th, he postpones ruling on over two dozen defense motions to exclude evidence from the trial, all based on science. Um, and over the next several months, he rules for or against uh, the various motions to exclude evidence. And he admonishes <coughs> and later financially sanctions the defense attorneys um, for failing to turn over expert witness discovery information uh, to prosecutors before a certain deadline. Um, after numerous outbursts by the lawyers in court over what is scientific evidence and what isn't, Judge Perry ruled that more such behavior would result in the fine of $100 per outburst, proceeds of which were supposed to go to the United Way. Whatever. Um, so there was a huge uh, firestorm of litigation over the evidence that the prosecution was trying to pass off as scientific. When the defense essentially destroyed that evidence, what you didn't hear at trial was um, a whole lot of expert testimony that would support the prosecution's um, contentions, which is this could not have been death by accidental drowning. This yeah. had to have been, beyond a reasonable doubt, a re- reasonable doubt death by suffocation because of all of these expert witnesses that didn't come in to testify that that's the case. That was the problem with your case, right? So trial begins. Um, the prosecution, this was their case. They stated that Casey Anthony used a duct tape to suffocate Kaylee Anthony. The defense contends the child actually drowns in her grandparents' swimming pool. Casey's father, George Anthony, warned uh, Casey that she would be in prison for life for child neglect and then covered up her death thus failing to report the incident for 31 days. Also because George Anthony had sexually molested Casey as a child, she had a habit of hiding her pain and lying, right? This is their theory of the defense. Um, (coughs) They admit that Casey had fabricated the story about the name of Zenaida Mm -hmm. Fernandez-Gonzalez, and they also question whether Roy Cronk found the remains, actually removed them, 
there was this whole story about this guy named Roy Crump, yeah. who may or may not have initially found yeah. the remains. Meter Man or yeah. something like that? Yeah, and then he calls the cops, and then the cop was being a dick about it, and so then nothing happened. What? And there was a, this story about maybe the cop got fired. I didn't find too much, because there were some about 12-year-old articles here yeah. that I'm perusing through, but yeah. Um, one of the theories of the defense was the, the remains were tampered with by this guy, Roy Cronk. He found him and then moved him around. Whatever was the, whatever the remains um, were not reliable because of the tampering issue, right? Um, May 25th, prosecution because uh, very, uh, they have various friends of Casey Anthony testify about her fabricated stories during June and July 2008, having a job of employing nanny. Neighbor testified that in, mid, in mid-June of 2008, Casey and a boyfriend borrowed a shovel to help him div- dig up a bamboo root. In mid-June, so that would have been around the time of Kaylee's. Mm-hmm. It was just some throwaway whatever evidence. Didn't really score any points. On May 26th, a former boyfriend of Casey testified uh, that Casey told him her brother Lee had sexually groped her. Mm-hmm. George Anthony is called back to the witness stand where he says he did not smell decomposition in Casey's car until around June 24th. That was consistent with the timeline more or less. Um, and states that he did put duct tape over a hole in a plastic gas can, right? Yes. Tying him to the duct tape and not Casey. Um, on May 27th, a tow truck company manager and George Anthony testified that from their experience, uh, the smell from Casey's car resembled human decomposition. This is a tow truck a tow truck driver stating that. Yes. Not a cop, not a scientist, right? But he's stating, I don't know, smells like decomposition to me. Um on cross-examination, George Anthony tells Jose Baez that he did not abuse Casey. Now, those two got into it during the during the uh, the, the witness exchange um, on cross-examination. Jose really went after the dad, and the dad got really <coughs> super defensive about it. Um, on May 28th, a former boyfriend testifies about Casey's normal behavior on June 16th. Grandma comes in to testify that they swam that day, you know, consistent with the uh, with the timeline. Um, on May 31st, Cindy Anthony says that her description of Casey's car smelling like someone had died was just a figure of speech. Anyway, so all these evidence, we're running out of time, so we're not going to run through the entire trial. Uh, but maybe we'll re-examine it next week or something. But yeah. um, at this point, we don't have any solid evidence that the, the, that the, the science suggests that duct tape was wrapped around Kaylee's face, forcing her to suffocate to the point of death as being the manner of death in this case. So here, based on this timeline that we've read, which is more or less what the jury heard, you have two options as to what actually happened. Prosecution says Casey Anthony was a 21-year-old mother over her head trying to raise this child. A single mother, essentially, didn't know who the father was. So she's raising this child on her own, the help of her parents. Um, and she's, you know, trying to move in and out or she, she's yearning for the single life. She wants to be free of her child. And so in order to effectuate that, searches on Google how to suffocate somebody in a foolproof way and murders her child and then goes about her life for 31 days, living it up, living the dream and uh, going about whatever. I guess that was her plan, right? And misleading the cops because she knows full well that uh, Kaylee was dead the whole time and is trying to mislead the cops into confusing them and so that they'll never find the remains. That is the prosecution's theory. The defense's theory of the case 
is that Casey was asleep on the morning of June 16th, 2008, with her daughter in tow, sleeping right next to her. She woke up at some point after being asleep for some hours, goes outside, or her dad or her, her father approaches her, um, telling her that Kaylee drowned accidentally. She's dead. You can't tell anybody because you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life. you got to cover this up. Following her dad's lead, as had been the case over many, many years of him telling her to keep her mouth shut about the, 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 the scandalous things that he was doing to her, she decides to go along with her dad and not say anything. Doesn't report it, doesn't tell grandma. And her dad helps to cover up the death, disposes of the body, calls her that same day, tells her that we got rid of it. And uh, don't say anything, everything's going to be okay. Now here is Casey, this um, victim of trauma, having this uh, mental crisis in that she's gone through so much trauma as to be in this state where she's trying to escape reality, explaining her behavior, explaining her inability to say anything that made sense to the cops, not even lying in a sensible way, just lying in a... Ridiculous. Yeah, as in, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. That would ask, force you to pose that question. If you decide that the defense's story is true, you must find Casey Anthony not guilty of first-degree murder. If you believe that the prosecution has proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Casey suffocated that child to live the single life, then you must find her guilty of first-degree murder. Those are your two options, never mind the other charges that were associated with. <coughs> you two sitting on the jury, guilty or innocent? When we put it that way, when we put it that way, it does switch things a little bit up. Mm-hmm. Is if there's and if I was on the defense team, what I would say is, those are you two. Those are your two choices. If you give any credibility to the story that I have told you, that it's possible that this two-year-old baby, almost three years old, might have wandered outside into the yard with the pool, climbed up on that ladder, and accidentally drowned herself, whereby her father discovers her in the pool and brings her lifeless body to my client, then you must find my client not guilty. If you don't believe that that's plausible, then I guess you have to make the right call. But if you think that it's possible, that that's the case, that this was an accidental death, my client is not guilty and the law says you have to acquit her. And that's how it was phrased pretty much more or less to the jury. Jose Baez obviously did a lot different than I did. Yeah. But that would have been my version of it. If I was the prosecution... Foolproof suffocation. Foolproof <laughs> suffocation. There's only one reason why somebody researches foolproof suffocation. That search didn't appear on her father's laptop. It didn't appear on her mother's cell phone. It appeared on, in a, 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 on a PC that was in the house that the evidence proves was being used specifically by Casey Anthony. How do we know that? Because... The accounts that were being used at the time that the PC was in use during those times, based on the logs, was on accounts that were password protected 
on accounts that belong to Casey Anthony. Yeah. She was using the computer from the morning to late that afternoon. And around the time that Kaylee would have been discovered by her father, according to the defense, we get the search. Foolproof suffocation. Not how does one suffocate? Not what happens when you suffocate? Not what is the medical occurrence that occurs when somebody suffocates? Yeah. Foolproof suffocation. Suffocation with a purpose. Suffocation that only lends itself to duct tape being wrapped around a two-year-old baby to the point where oxygen is deprived from her little lungs until she is dead. If you don't believe that it's reasonable that anybody could have searched that term for any other purpose on that specific day when that baby went missing and was found dead, admittedly, by Casey Anthony herself, then there is no other reasonable explanation. Casey murdered that baby. And you must find her guilty. That's the prosecution's case. But they didn't focus on that. They focused on, oh, she's a whore and she's a slut and the single life and, you know, all of this stuff. Of course they were going to lose their trial. Yeah. The jury took their case. The jury took, um, after both sides rested, they deliberated for a total of 11 hours before delivering a not guilty verdict on first degree murder, finding her guilty in all the other charges of obstruction of justice, line of cops and all of that. <clears throat> the judge sentenced her to three consecutive terms. Um, based on all the charges, which amounted to three years, and she was given credit for time served. The trial ended on, I think it was the 6th of July or something like that. Um, she was out 11 days later on to live the rest of her life. That was the story of the Casey Anthony trial. Wow. Just wow. Okay, so what version of my argument, of my closing argument, would you guys have preferred if you were on that jury? And I'm arguing against myself. I wanted to do this against Eliana, but she's not here. <clears throat> so those were my two versions of a closing argument for both sides, uh, which would have been more compelling to you. Now, when I talked to, you know, my wife, we were watching this, we, we watched this documentary yesterday. And uh, what she said was, but how do you explain the Google searches? And I think she's right. I mean, how that's yeah. kind of the best evidence, right? Why the F the would Google you search, search foolproof suffocation? They focused on the wrong things. <clears throat> yeah. There, there's, there's no plausible reason why anybody would search for that other than to effectively suffocate somebody. Yep. So based on my two closing arguments, which do you find more compelling? The defense team. Yes, the defense. I agree. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't have a good explanation for the Google search. But like you said, they the prosecution <coughs> focused on the wrong thing. They did. Yeah, and they gave the wrong presentation. Exactly. I want you guys at some point next week to go, or whenever, to go back and watch the closing argument of the prosecution. And it's cringeworthy, and the guy that's delivering it, he's just... Uh, he should not have delivered that closing argument the way that he did. Yeah. They needed somebody else to do it. Honestly, they should have had... I don't know if they should have had a woman. I don't know if it, if it should have been whatever demographic. I just know that it shouldn't have been him. Yeah. Don't call a woman a whore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was his, his whole, that, that was what they focused on. But yes. Also, it's like not a bad thing. That's what the media focused on. And maybe the prosecution got wrapped up in the media coverage mm -hmm. of the case and just decided that that was how they needed to, to do it. But It's just not <clears> relevant. <throat> and I'm not even going to say that 
an older gentleman should not have been the one to deliver that closing argument. It just should not have been that guy. Yeah. Like I would take, I, I would take that delivery or that point from say Clint Eastwood. He's <laughs> like almost 90, mm-hmm. but because I, he's a believable and he's a good actor and he's got charisma and he looks like, you know, or a Kevin Costner, you know, could have delivered that speech, but not this guy that looks like he's been pushing pencils all his life. Like when's the last time he's really done anything of, you know, so if this case relatable. was done all over again with different, you know, defense teams, put and- the Waukesha County prosecutor yeah. on this case and she's yeah. going to get a conviction. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> or at least have a much better chance of getting a conviction. Like it's just going to be a whole different outcome. Yeah. Do I think that Casey Anthony should have been guilty or uh, not guilty? I think that the jury, despite the public backlash with the evidence that was presented to them and the way that it was presented to them, yeah. I got to believe that they got the verdict right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, with that, I'm going to close the book on the uh, the, uh, the uh, Casey Anthony case for this week anyway. Maybe we, we Maybe we'll revisit it next week. If we have anything relevant to say, there's so much that we didn't even get to. I, I got know. like so much more notes, um, but you know, we can only go for so long. We've been going for like over an hour 15 already. Um, do you guys have any closing thoughts? I think the case was a lot more complicated and super messy that it didn't really get the right impression. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you got, you guys got this case, I'm, I'm assuming mostly from, the media, what yeah. you heard in the news, right? Yeah. And the media portrayed it a certain way, but the way that it was presented to the jury is a lot different. Yep. And that's the game. A lot of this evidence that gets spouted out in the media never makes it to a courtroom because it's not relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to say she's guilty because she's a slut or she's a whore because she was living it up or whatever. You're yeah. not an expert to know what grieving looks like or what a response to uh, trauma looks like. And so for those reasons, we don't allow the jury to consider it. We just need, they try in courts and they try in jury trials to focus only on facts that are provable. Yeah. Eyewitness testimony, which is oftentimes not reliable, but you know, things like a scientific evidence to the extent that it's 100% provable, not this pseudoscience that you say that, oh, whatever to this and chloroform that or, and because of this, definitely human decomposition. It has to be trusted within that industry. It has to be science that could be relied upon across the vast majority of uh, scientists. It has to be just, it has to be a relied upon theory, yeah. scientific theory. So that's, that's, that's the difference. So based off of all of that, Casey Anthony coming back in the news um, my, if I was on, well, I would never be on the jury. They would never let me on the jury. <laughs> no, um, you're bad. But I got to say, um, I had the same impression about uh, as you guys for the last 12 years. I was like, oh yeah, definitely. Sure. She's guilty. She killed her kid. Yeah. But having gone through the evidence that was actually presented, I got to say, I would have probably found her not guilty myself. Mm-hmm. If I was in the jury, I probably would have said not guilty as well. Yeah. So, uh, going back to last week, remember we were talking about that $40,000 personal care thing. Yes. So, um, I was talking to my wife about it and, uh, she was, she focusing on the fact that Eliana spends $250 a month on her, on her hair. You know how much I spend? Zero. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, well that's because 
I'm sure Melissa's pretty up there, because too. Because she has perfect hair. Yeah. That's what I said. It's like, you don't need any of that stuff. Like, why do you need to spend $250 <laughs> on your hair? Just leave it how it is. She keeps saying, I need to cut my hair. I like, no, no, no. Just leave it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Refresh my memory on the 40000 Yeah, it's because we were talking about how you oh, could yeah, spend Melissa was not there. $40,000 on personal care mm-hmm. a month. Thomas Girardi's wife spent 40000 a month yeah. on personal care. I try to have Eliana and Jocelyn. How would you even go about spending 40000 a month on personal and care? I what would you spend it on? I couldn't answer that. Eliana was like, you could definitely do it. Yes, and I'm like, I have no <laughs> I have no idea how you could, but I'm pretty sure it's okay, possible. It de- also depends on the type of care you also do, but I do get what she's saying. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about. All I'm, I'm like, saying mm. is I wouldn't want to be married to anybody that needed 40000 a month. I'd rather just, hey, look, for $0, you look exactly like this, and that's <laughs> what I want. I think they actually, that was a good one, but they actually did a recount. I read it like two years ago about the Kardashians. Kylie spends almost 100000 I can see that, yeah. And she looks like it, too. She doesn't even look like a person anymore. No, that's she a, doesn't. That's one. She, does, she, she does looks like a look walking like Photoshopped picture. She looks like, like a plastic doll. yeah. Yeah, but you know what? This is money. This is the money that you get to spend. I mean, they think that, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I, I've never met anybody that prefers that look over just like natural, you know? Just let yourself naturally age. What's a big freaking deal? Like, yeah. it's not that bad. Like, We're you don't have to. Die. Look, you're 60 years old. There's no way you should be looking like trying to look like you're 25. But that's the thing. She's a walking advertisement, like you just said it. That's true. Her image is her, is her She's money. She's a walking advertisement. You know? it's, her, it's her money. Exactly. Well, girls, we've been going for a really long time. It's been an hour, 25 minutes at this point. I think it's time to wrap this show up. Yeah, this show. Everybody, thank you for watching uh, episode 20 of the Tilton Lawyer Podcast. If always, as always, please leave us feedback in the comments, uh, whatever it is, positive, negative, whatever you want to say. Um, thank you for watching the show. Criticism. Constructive criticism. Be, be constructive or unconstructive <laughs> as you want. <laughs> you know? I, I feel like we're going to get it anyway. Um, but thank you for watching the show. And thank you if you watched the entire thing. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, we work really hard on these shows and it makes me, it tickles me inside to know that you guys are <laughs> consuming the content that we're putting out. Um, for that matter, we will be back next week. Um, let me know about what you want to talk about. I have some ideas with shows. Um, one of them has been suggested we should talk about the Amber Heard appeals. Oh. If you guys want to talk about that, let me know in the mm-hmm. comments. Um, if not, we'll do something else. Uh, but I have, I have a, a number of different shows. I don't know. Maybe I'll put up a poll. And uh, we could take a vote on it. Um, But as always, we will see you next week. Thank you guys for joining us. We love you all. And uh, be safe out there. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.